you know, we live kind of in a, um, we call it cafeteria Catholicism, the Feyline Catholicism, meaning, well, I like Jesus when he says, love one another. But when I have to go and do that to someone who has hurt me, uh, maybe not so fast. Or maybe there's this church teaching I like, but I don't like this one. So I'm going to follow the one that I like, but not the one that I don't like. Because what, you know, what I found was a divorce focuses on the end of a marriage and an annulment looks at the beginning. Right. The very right. moment the couple said, I do. Right. A divorce looks at marriage in civil law and annulment looks at marriage from the perspective of the gospel and of church teaching. It is a myth that an annulment is divorce Catholic style. That's right. Very important. So on your wedding day, two things have happened. You've been married in the church. You've received a sacramental marriage under the, in the eyes of God, but you've also received a civil marriage in the eyes of the state. The, an annulment can't erase history and doesn't try to. An annulment in the Catholic Church deals only with the sacrament of marriage and not the legal, historical, emotional truth of marriage. An annulment states that the sacrament was never present in the marriage and not that the marriage never took place. It is a myth that an annulment means that the marriage never happened. And I thought this was pretty good too. The truth is that, it, that an annulment is concerned only with the spouses, not the children. You know, it has no effect at all on the legitimacy of children or other arrangements regarding children. Here's your host. I'm Tony Miller with KCDM, your host for the show this evening. Yep, you're stuck with me for another week. Welcome back to this week's episode of Pastor's Perspective. We're back in the air conditioning at St. John's Rectory as a campfire wouldn't be in the cards. We are in the 19th week of Ordinary Time and we'll be previewing the Gospel of Luke for the 20th Sunday of Ordinary Time. I'd like to welcome Father Dan back. Since we ran a little long and didn't get to cover all of the annulments, uh, he agreed to stay around and record the rest of the annulment discussion. Uh, Father Marty, do we have any news and notes for tonight? The big one will be, uh, this um, for this week, will be the uh, Solemnity of the Assumption of Mary. Um, taken body and soul into heaven. At least that's our assumption. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. But it's a, since it falls on a Monday this year, the obligation to attend mass is lifted. But we're um, still going to have mass. It'll be eight o'clock in the morning at St. Mary's and Patrick's on Monday the 15th and six o'clock at St. Mary's in Dodgeville. So if you've not made the trek up to Dodgeville, first of all, be careful. Because with that construction going on and everything, people are driving worse than I do. <laughs> I heard about a car trying to pass in the no passing lane last night. So oh, look boy. out. So was look it out. a Buick Encore? It was not a Buick Encore. <laughs> I, follow, I follow the rules. But, but join us um, for Mass that day um, on the Assumption. 8 o'clock, Mary St. Patrick. 6 o'clock, out at St. Mary's in Dodgeville. And then we're gearing up to get ready for uh, school. And I believe that the uh, the in-service is on Friday this year, the 19th, I believe. And I'm not sure if there's mass down at Fort Madison or not again, but we're just gearing up for the start of school on the 23rd. Very good. 
I'll just uh, quickly go around the table and introduce the priest here. We have Father Dennis tonight. Hi, everyone. Father Marty, of course, which you just heard. Hello. Father Mike. Hello. And Father James. Good evening, everyone. And Father Mike, I believe you have our opening prayer. Very good. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing as again we pursue the knowledge of your truth. Give us the grace always to be faithful to you. Let the fire that you wish to enlighten the world with be in our hearts as the Holy Spirit guides us to proclaim boldly the word of God. We ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Uh, tonight, the posse will discuss Luke's reading for the 20th Sunday of Ordinary Time, and that's chapter 12, verses 49 through 53. In this reading, Jesus tells his disciples that his presence will not bring peace, but division. He has come to, quote, set the earth on fire, unquote. Father Dennis, I believe you got a reading tonight? Yes, sir. All right. Jesus said to his disciples, I have come to set the earth on fire, and how I wish it were already blazing. There is a baptism with which I must be baptized, and how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to establish peace on the earth? Now I tell you, but rather division. From now on, a household of five will be divided, three against two, and two against three. A father will be divided against his son, and a son against his father, a mother against her daughter, and a daughter against her mother, a mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father Dennis. So the Gospel starts out pretty intense tonight, blazing earth and all. Why does Jesus wish it was already blazing? Does he wish we were all on fire for him? Thank you. Uh, Father James is just looking at me and uh, <laughs> he wants me to say something. Thank you, uh, thank you, Father James. Well, you were excited before the show started. You, oh, yes. you liked oh, the yes. question, so I thought oh, you yes. had something. Oh, yes. <laughs> I must have been mistaken. Yes, yes. <laughs> False start. Father James, five yard penalty, still first down. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, just, Jesus is saying that I have come to set the earth on fire. And he continued to show how there will be divisions in one household. And uh, the idea behind is uh, how Jesus knew what was going to happen. That okay. not everyone will receive his message. Some will try to oppose him, or others maybe will be neutral. And in a family, maybe one will believe in him, or others will oppose him. And that's what happened, and what is, that is what is happening even now. You can look in your family, for example, you find one family, some are good believers, but others don't. And sometimes it brings division in one family. That's why I was 
just excited to say this because it is sometimes sad you see people of the same family they are not united because of faith but Jesus already saw this even ahead of time mm -hmm. so it doesn't mean fire in the sense of fire but he means, he means the fire of faith that not everyone will receive uh, his message hey you also got to look back to you know John the Baptist you know Talks about one that's going to be greater than him coming and baptizing, you know, with fire and the spirit. And, you know, you fast forward to Pentecost, you know, ultimately where his 12 apostles are going to have the Holy Spirit come down upon them and they're going to receive those tongues of fire. He's going to set the world on fire, you know, with the Holy Spirit, that love. But just as we know, you know, when you follow Christ, you know, there's going to be some individuals that aren't going to be so quite so sold, kind of like, eh, I'm not really following this. Like, I like my good old days. I like, you know, spending all my day playing my, you know, Xbox Series X all day and, you know, sleeping in on Sundays. You know, there's going to be those times where Christ is going to call you to set yourself apart. And unfortunately, in today's culture, you know, faith is very kind of countercultural right now. We look to sports, we look to all these other things to kind of fill that niche of where we think we're going to have that joy. And ultimately, we know we get that joy from following Christ, but it's so countercultural, kind of that fish swimming upstream. So he's really speaking of spiritually setting the earth ablaze, not literally. And two, you know, it was, it was like last week, you know, that Luke is writing this again, 40, 50 years after the resurrection. And those who converted the Christianity, those who decided to follow Christ, you know, it's like Father Dennis said, there were some in the family who didn't agree with this. So it would, it would have pitted son against father, father against son, mother against daughter, daughter, you know, things like that. And, you know, it's that it's not always easy to follow Jesus because, and I'm going to, I'm going to piggyback on what you said, you know, we live kind of in a, um, we call it cafeteria Catholicism, buffet line Catholicism, Meaning, well, I like Jesus when he says, love one another. But when I have to go and do that to someone who has hurt me, uh, maybe not so fast. Or maybe there's this church teaching I like, but I don't like this one. So I'm going to follow the one that I like, but not the one that I don't like. I want to jump to the resurrection and not go through the cross. Amen. Okay. Is the baptism Jesus speaks of a reference to his crucifixion? Yes. Because we see like in chapter nine where in Luke where Jesus orients his life, you know, kind of his focus. He's headed to Jerusalem. He's leading us that direction. Ultimately, he'll give up his life. So it's also a reference to our crucifixion with Christ in our baptism. Correct. Where we we're going to the waters and we die with Christ. So that God willing, we will rise with Christ on the last day. So as a human being, uh, we talked a little bit last week about uh, if we knew the hour of our death, would, if we could be told, would we want to know it? As a human being, Christ must have really struggled knowing what was coming and, and when it was going to happen. Imagine that kid at the doctor who knows they got to get a needle, you know, they got to get a, a shot and they start screaming and yelling. And I mean, it's not that it's going to hurt that bad, but they know it's coming and just knowing that it's coming is what causes them to go ballistic you know imagine if uh if well for surgeries and things if you know that uh, say if i had to have an amputation 
You know, just the the knowing of what's coming is so much worse than the actual what it happens. Even though you know you're going to be healed or better or it's for the good later. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine to know that you're going to die. Yeah. To know that and not just die, but die in such a terrible, horrific way. Yeah. To know that you're going to do that. And he didn't just know it like a, a week ahead. He knew it. You know, pretty much through his whole ministry, I think. When you're on that gurney rolling down the hallway to the operating room to have your kidney removed, <laughs> it's like, when I wake up, this is not going to be fun. Talk about the division he brought and, and still brings today. I mean, I know my dad was a convert, grew up Methodist, and that that caused the division in his family that they never got over. I think it goes back to, you know, if we truly want to follow Jesus and follow in his footsteps, it's going to cause division because we're going to have to stand up for things, um, you know, our faith. We're going to have to stand up for things that might go against what our family wants or believes. Absolutely. So why why are the divisions in the household of five specifically mentioned? What, what meaning does it bring to the story or what, you know, when it says three against two and two against three, is, is there is there a significance to that, or is it just more il- more illustrations of the divisions that will be caused? I have no idea. How about you guys? I was hoping the moderator was going to tell us the answer to that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, looks I, like our, looks like our ship has been I, sunk. I suppose that's, I, I suppose they tell I suppose they tell lawyers never ask a question you don't know the answer to. <laughs> So all of you listeners remember this one. So when you play Stump a Priest sometime, this will be a good question to ask them. Probably because, a little not that I'm going to jump in here, but uh, probably probably because uh, the family, mother, father, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, son-in-law, son, uh, it's supposed to be a unit. It's supposed to be a close relationship of people. And when our Lord very graphically says it's going to be mother against daughter, father against son, this is going to cause a a division where there really shouldn't be a division. And our Lord is asking us not to be surprised at that, that even in the most intimate relationships, there's going to be a division. Truth always causes division, whether we want it to or not, especially in a culture where we do not accept truth for its own value. So I think that's very important to know, to expect. Phillips, I'm, I'm very thankful that you gave me some time to, to look up a rationale answer. And did, you ready? Take, did you take a good use of that time? I did. Numerology, here we go. All right, here we go. We look in the prophet Micah, okay. chapter 7, verse 6. In there, the prophet is you know telling about this situation. He says, For the son belittles his father... The daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and your enemies are members of your household. So Jesus is using what the prophet Micah talked about back in chapter 7, verse 6, and bringing it. So this is that link between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Correct. Okay, very good. Two good answers. See, we started out thinking we didn't know the answer, and now we got two good responses. I Thank you, Father John Lodge. I helped. 
All right, well, this is the part uh, in the show when we would have started talking about the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, which is on August 15th, Father Marty talked about at the opening. We are going to continue with annulments because we had so much ground that we didn't get covered last week. If we have some time to talk about the Assumption at the end and we get through everything, we'll do that. Um, But we may have to save the Assumption for... Uh, a future episode. Well, I assume our listeners know all about the assumption. <laughs> That's my assumption. Uh, there we go. Don't quit our day jobs. I'm leaving. That's two, Father. Okay. okay. Ouch. <laughs> when we left off at the last episode, we were talking about reasons for which annulments can be granted. We got into a discussion uh, afterwards, and I want to pick up with that discussion about marriages. And uh, in the Bible, it says, what God has joined, let no man uh, turn asunder or separate. Put put asunder. Put put asunder. That's it. Um, So a valid marriage cannot be dissolved by anyone. An annulment by the Pope, by a priest, a valid marriage can't be dissolved. Period. Correct. Sure. Right. The yeah. whole the whole Protestant Reformation, at least from the English standpoint, is based on on that conflict. So it shows you how much the church values a valid marriage. Yeah, and the reason behind is because a valid marriage is a sacrament, and then there is no any way you can uh, do an ornament of a sacrament of marriage. So if if it is a valid marriage, it is a sacrament. That is why then nothing can happen over that marriage. And that's why it's important to say again and again and again and again that annulments have to do with a sacramental marriage. That when an annulment is granted by the Catholic Church, it's saying that the marriage was not a sacrament in the sight of God originally because of a lot of different reasons. Yeah. But that's what it means. Okay. So they're, they're not undoing anything. They're no. saying it never was. It never yes. was. Right. Yes. Okay. Because what, you know, what I found was a divorce focuses on the end of a marriage. An annulment looks at the beginning. Right. The very right. moment the couple said, I do. Right. A divorce looks at marriage in civil law. An annulment looks at marriage from the perspective of the gospel and of church teaching. It is a myth that an annulment is divorce Catholic style. That's right. Very important. Mm -hmm. So the the Mm -hmm. divorce really has nothing to do with the Catholic part of it. Correct. It is um, civil, if you will. But you need that civil divorce to be finalized before you can start on an annulment. Right. The church will not look at an annulment before a civil marriage divorce decree has been finalized. So on your wedding day, two things have happened. You've been married in the church. You've received a sacramental marriage in the eyes of God, but you've also received a civil marriage in the eyes of the state. The state allows the priest to to be their officiant, so to speak, but that's why he has to sign that marriage license and send it into them. So two things happened when you got married, and when you get a divorce, only one of those things is undone, the the civil marriage. Very good. The way that I understood this was, and guys, you can correct me on this, is a divorce breaks the bond. The annulment says that a bond was never there in the first place, sacramentally. Yeah, that's yeah. that's a pretty yeah. good way to put it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
As priests in the diocese, what's the most common misconception you hear about annulments from parishioners? I've heard three, and I heard one in the Synod listening sessions that I thought was interesting. How can you say a couple's been married 20, 25, 30 years and no bond was established? That's number one. Number two is the kids are not legit. And then number three, if you have the money, you can get it quicker than if you don't have money. Hmm. Yeah. That third one, I I heard a lot years ago when I was yeah. getting my annulment was, well, if you have the money, you can just buy your way in through it. Mm-hmm. But uh, and that's one of the reasons when I got my annulment out in Indiana, that particular diocese did not charge for it. But it was one of the few dioceses at the time. When I was a quote, quote, baby priest um, back in the early 90s, I had someone come to me and because they because I think at the time it was. Father Mike, you're going to have to help me here. About 500 Does that sound right? What? Uh, the cost for the annulment. 400 500 Could be. Mm-hmm. And this person goes, if I wrote you a check for 1000 or 1500 could I get it quicker? Would I be moved to the top of the line? Hmm. So I think that in the old days, that's a big misconception. But one of the things I think we need to emphasize here, you know, and Davenport was one of the, you mentioned Lafayette, but Davenport was one of the first ones to take the words of Pope Francis very seriously and did not, and we do not charge for annulments. But they do cost the diocese quite a bit of money. We've got a staff that has to get paid and Mm -hmm. and run a a tribunal. We have to run investigations, a lot of mailings, a lot of office Mm -hmm. type stuff. So they are fairly expensive. I think the original idea was to charge the people who were incurring the, who caused us to incur the expense. Right. But we've, decided to absorb the expense of annulments into the normal operations of the diocese. And this is a tangent, but I think that's something that we don't emphasize enough um, in the annual diocesan appeal. Yeah. Because that's where some of the ADA money goes to. Right. It's a big service that the diocese gives to our parishes. Right. So if you compare the, the legal fees in any other legal uh, transaction to what the church has to go through in this annulment procedure, you can see it a little bit more clearly and understand it, I think, a little bit more clearly. Yeah, because the lawyers are charging $250, $300 an hour. Sure. If a marriage is declared null, does it mean that the marriage never existed? Civilly it did. Well, it's not sacramentally. Yeah, like I said, two things happen on the marriage day. That civil marriage always existed from the day of the marriage until the day of the divorce. It's it's saying in an annulment that there never was a sacramental marriage. So in a way, you're right. It never the sacramental marriage never existed. And this is something that I found is that um, the an annulment can't erase history and doesn't try to. An annulment in the Catholic Church deals only with the sacrament of marriage and not the legal, historical, emotional truth of marriage. An annulment states that the sacrament was never present in the marriage and not that the marriage never took place. It is a myth that an annulment means that the marriage never happened. Yeah. As we have said, for example, someone had another marriage before. And probably he hides it. He doesn't say it. He goes on with the, another second marriage, for example. But 
he had a, a marriage before. And later, maybe the other um, partner discovered that, oh, oh, my husband or my wife had another marriage before. That means that marriage is, does not exist because there was a fraud. And uh, that is what, when we talk of maybe NAR or something like that. Well, uh, the man wouldn't have been free to marry because he's, a, he's in that prior bond. So, uh, Father Marty mentioned one of the misconceptions that he heard was about children being illegitimate. So, if a declaration of nullity is granted, are the children considered illegitimate? That's a, that's a question I hear all the time, or an objection I hear all the time. No, because the children are the product of the marriage. They don't really enter into the, the nullity. The nullity says that the sacrament never existed, but the marriage certainly existed. The civil marriage existed. The whole concept of legitimacy is a civil thing. It has nothing to do with church or sacraments or anything else. That's that's purely a, a, a civil uh, tort law kind of thing. So, and I thought this was pretty good too. The truth is that it, that an annulment is concerned only with the spouses, not the children. You know, it has no effect at all on the legitimacy of children or other arrangements regarding children such as custody or support. Um, These are all concerns of civil law. Okay, It's a myth that granting an annulment makes the children illegitimate. But that's a big one still today that I've heard. Yep. One of my kids called me up on the phone crying because now they were illegitimate. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) took a lot of talking. I knew a woman in where I was from. And she played organ in the church and was married in the Catholic church and had three or four kids and they got divorced and she would not go get an annulment because somebody told her it would make her children illegitimate. Hmm. And to the point where she didn't go and take communion. And eventually the priest asked her to stop playing the organ, playing at mass. So that, that really is unfortunate that that people aren't getting good information on annulments and divorce. How long does the process take? Is there a, is there a, an average, or is it the more money you throw at it, the faster it goes? Or what? Well, again, I want to I want to stress on that one that in the diocese of Davenport, there is no money that changes hands. Just this last week, I actually went to the tribunal for a baby priest school orientation um, <laughs> at the tribunal and. So talking with Father Paul Apple, who is our judicial vicar, who's kind of, this is kind of his department, his baby. He's the head of the tribunal. He said on average right now, you know, an annulment is taking about nine months. He used to be early on, you know, during his time in the tribunal, they're doing probably about 90 or so annulments a year. Um, right now, he said, you're looking more in the 40 or so in a year for annulments in the diocese. Since Pope Francis, there is a process called the shorter form or the shorter process. Uh, he was trying to streamline it and try to get annulments through faster. There are requirements for the shorter process, which both parties have to agree they want it. They both have to sign on it. You have to have all the investigations, witness statements, everything up front. So it's actually, I found that it's probably more work on the priest uh, or the advocate but by the time it gets to the tribunal, it's going to be quicker because everything's already done up front. And I and think this is a... Oh, go ahead, Father James. I'm sorry. Well, like with that shorter process, yeah. 
it's put a lot more pressure, a lot more work on the actual priest, you know, the one that's taking all that information because the priest, he's going to be the one to interview these witnesses. He's going to be the one that's going to compile all of the paperwork together. But I think the hardest part with that short form is you got to get both the parties to agree to it and get them to sign on the dotted line. Both, both the, the petitioner, the, the one asking for the annulment, and then their former spouse to respond And I think this would be a good time for too, because we've talked about, you know, nine months average in the diocese for a formal annulment case. Right. There's other types of annulments that we've teed it up pretty good, you know, that might not, that might take a little bit longer or could take a lot shorter. Well, I was just going to ask when, when Father Dan said the, uh, the, sh the sh abbreviated process, are there... Are there different, I don't know, approaches or processes or methods that uh, that the tribunal can use or the petitioner can use based on what the fault was or what the angle of the annulment is? We, we, we talked about Petrine. Somebody mentioned Petrine last week. Yeah, so there's different kind of privileges, you know, based off of, you know, if you're potentially marrying somebody who's not baptized, all these different kind of puzzle pieces. Um, I'd say like the, the biggest piece, I'd say probably 80%, if not more, of your annulments are gonna be this formal, kind of a longer process. You know, the short ones, ones that you're gonna get done in probably two weeks time to get all the paperwork and your ducks in a row is, let's say a Catholic decides, you know what? I wanna marry, you know, another Catholic, maybe a non-Catholic, whoever it might be. But we're just gonna go down to the courthouse, get married. Like we don't really want to do a marriage in the church, Father. Like, and let's say you know they get married and they're married for forty years, but they never get the marriage blessed by the church. Let's say they get a divorce, and one of the spouses goes, you know, well, I probably should do an annulment because kind of thinking about maybe getting remarried. That thing's gonna take us two weeks. As long as that marriage was not blessed in the church, the Catholic did not follow proper form for marriage. So each one of your sacraments needs a proper form, a proper minister, and proper matter. So obviously in a marriage, your matter is gonna be the male and the female. Can't marry two males, can't marry two females. Your proper form is gonna be, because obviously you need the man and the female. You need a minister, so ideally it's gonna be a priest. You can get a dispensation of a deacon, witness a marriage. You need that church's witness um, could possibly be a bishop as well. Um, and then you also need two witnesses. So it's that idea that, you know, in the early days of the church, you know, super early, you're not having these secret marriages out in the woods or it's just, you know, maybe a priest and the couple and that's it. It's that idea that there's witnesses involved in it. So let's say you decide, you know what? I want to go get married on a beach. I'm not going to get married here in Burlington. The riverfront does not look as beautiful as the white sandy beaches in Cancun. And you decide you don't want to get dispensation from Catholic form. Well, there's kind of that loophole where you're supposed to follow Catholic form. So your annulment process is going to get done significantly quicker. But let's say. What yeah. does that mean, dispensation? Yeah, so dispensation. So let's say, you know, you want to get married and you want to ask for that dispensation. Like, let's say you're marrying somebody that's not a Catholic. So you have a Catholic marrying, let's say, a Methodist or a Baptist or Protestant. Um, they're going to meet with, let's say, if it's here at St. John's or any of the churches, um, 
They're going to be meeting, ideally in the eyes of the church, two Catholics are getting married together. That's kind of the ideal in the church's eyes. Um, If not, let's say they're getting married to a Methodist, just hypothetically, the church asks for dispensation. So it's kind of of saying like, all right, we're going to give you the approval to do this, but in order to do that, the Catholic party is going to have to take an oath, a promise, that they're going to do their very best to raise the children in the Catholic faith. And they actually will sign a piece of paper and they'll typically here at Divine Mercy Parish, when I prepare couples for marriage, if it's a mixed marriage, I'll actually have them do that in front of me and their spouse. So we all understand what the church is asking of the Catholic party. So the rules are based upon this uh, ideal of two Catholics getting married. And then if you want them to break those rules, like allow me to marry a Protestant, I'm asking the church to dispense from the rules to allow me to do this. So we're asking permission when we ask for a dispensation. Mm -hmm. And I remember when, when we got married, my wife was Methodist. And she had to agree to raise the children in the Catholic Church. And she didn't have to agree to becoming Catholic, but that was the goal. Right. And that was stated before we got married, that she knew I'd be trying to get her to become Catholic. <laughs> well, they, they have flipped that now. So the, the non-Catholic no longer has to agree to it, but the Catholic party has to sign a statement saying they will do their very best to raise their kids in the faith. Mm-hmm. and to continue to practice the faith. So the burden is on the Catholic, not the non-Catholic. The non-Catholic. There's definitely, like in that marriage prep, there's definitely going to be that conversation with the couple. Like what, is the, yep. what is the church asking of? Yep. So if you're planning a retreat, med- uh, a retreat wedding in Mexico and you're going to get married on a beach or something and, and you're Catholic, you need to go ask for a dispensation to do that? Ideally, the church more than likely... If I had to take a hypothetical guess, let's say you want to get married on a beach, the church is not going to grant you that dispensation. The church sees the sacredness in marriage and is going to want that to take place in a church, you know, in that sacred place. There is one situation where the church will allow you to get married at a event at a venue or an event place and and still be valid in the church. And that is uh, for the good of the spouses. If you're marrying a non-Catholic and they absolutely will not step foot in a Catholic church and your Catholic family will not step foot in their church because, and there's, there's this disparity of uh, the two different religions, uh, sometimes for the good of the, of the new couple and the families to keep harmony, the church will grant an exception. And I worked on one over in Illinois for a couple, some kids of a family here at St. John's. And uh, I think it was a Peoria diocese, and they did grant the exception. I would say like another like dispensation for Catholic form is like, let's say you're the Catholic and you're going to get married in her church, her Protestant church. You can get that dispensation from Catholic form. Oh yeah, that's that's pretty common. Yeah, very common today. Usually it used to be impossible, but now it's very common. Right, and it's a great resolution that. to that conflict that Father Dan was right. talking about. And that is without the presence of a priest. A lot of people think that if you have a priest present, regardless of all these other things, that it's going to be okay. But that's not true. The priest's presence 
depends upon whether or not the, the church, the Catholic Church, has granted that dispensation. He can't be there as an official if the church has not granted that dispensation. But it's very simple to get today. So I think like that's one of the big pieces why why we ask our couples to begin to you know meet with the priest six months in advance because there's going to be these situations that come up and you know let's say you need this dispensation well there's paperwork that the priest is going to fill out he's got to send it up to the diocese of Davenport up to the chancery tribunal needs to review it be able to send it back so that idea is sometimes things are going to take a long time to kind of get sorted out so it's a lot better to have things planned out instead of going oh my gosh like we're waiting on this thing and the marriage is in like two weeks like ah, ah. and you start panicking and you get a bridezilla or a, a mother of the bride or mother-in-law or it's just kind of a scary situation sometimes for the priest <laughs> and the advantage of all this we're giving the impression maybe it's going to take forever but the advantage of this time period is that the couple gets to know the priest Many times the priest gets to know the minister, if the minister is involved, regardless of where the wedding takes place, everybody gets to know a little bit each other. And uh, usually, from my experience anyway, it's been, it's been resolved successfully and everybody feels pretty good about it, rather than waiting, you know, and having all this anxiety and all the rest of it. Well, one big thing, like if you're thinking about, say you were previously married and you're civilly divorced haven't gone through the normal process and you're thinking about you know getting married again is encourage you to you know, start the process of getting an annulment don't don't wait till after you've proposed to your fiance and then go oh yeah i probably should get an annulment i, I was just going to ask if you mm -hmm. if you don't plan to get remarried after you after you get divorced should you apply for a, an annulment anyway i'd say yes because plans change Right now, you may not plan to, but, well, like me, I wasn't planning on being a priest, <laughs> but <laughs> plans change, uh, you know, and so it's always good to know. That gives you that opportunity to kind of heal some of the bad wounds, to be able to have that time for, you know, some reflection, and, you know, just to be able to kind of see, like, all right, where were those areas in my life where I, where I kind of felt short? Like, what are those areas where I'm kind of rough still on the edges and how can I work to become you know, the best man that I can be if someone has applied for a, a, an annulment uh, can they go ahead and set the date for their wedding they can but it doesn't mean they'll get married on that day <laughs> so the story they always told us in the seminary was is, unfortunately it was a real life story playing out while I was in the seminary in Chicago so a couple the male was waiting on his annulments come back. Well, the priest, you know, they'd met, you know, talked about marriage preps for his, you know, his second, you know, his fiance for the second marriage. And they'd set the wedding date. They penciled it into the calendar and everything. Well, a month before, they're still waiting on the annulment. And the annulment isn't coming back. And they begin to realize the week before the marriage, the annulment isn't going to be done in time. So the priest has to call him and say, I can't marry you. Your annulment has been completed. Well, then the couple then sued the church, you know, for the venue, reception, <laughs> all, the cost of all, the stuff all these and, things. Okay. Because the church agreed to the state, the priest agreed to the state. Well, in reality, 
he wasn't free to marry yet the male because his annulment hadn't come back yet. So whatever you do, don't pencil in a date until you know for certain that both spouses are ready. You know, until the marry. annulment is signed, sealed, and delivered. Correct. And likewise, we, we had mentioned in the last episode that you need to be divorced before you apply for the annulment. Well, the church, before they figured this out, they were granting annulments when people, their divorce hadn't gone through yet. And then the people reconciled and decided to stay married. And, but no, now you're, now you're annulled. So if, if a sacramental marriage never took place, now you're living in sin. I was going to say that. So, yeah. so now you have to go back and get your marriage blessed again by the church, basically get married again in the church. And so it just caused way too many complications. So <laughs> I had a case one time where, and it's so long ago, and nobody here I'm sure would know anything about it, but I had a case where a couple went through the entire annulment process, and it was granted. And uh, about two weeks after the granting of the annulment, the divorce and all the rest of that, they both came to me. And apparently in the process of all of this stuff, they had fallen in love again. And so they wanted to get married again. Well, the annulment had been granted. Mm. They were not truly married in the Catholic Church. They were divorced civilly. And I said, you mean I've got to fill out all these papers and send them to Davenport and look like an absolute idiot because we <laughs> No, you just start the marriage prep program and oh, say, hey, six-month wait. Six-month wait, absolutely. <laughs> maybe, maybe the pendulum will swing back and they'll hate each other. <laughs> well, I didn't feel too cordial towards them, I'll tell you that. Well, let's talk about uh, cohabitation just a little bit. Cohabitation among... The young generation has become acceptable is a is a mild word. It, it's almost people expected. Yeah, the the people young people live together uh, before they get married, probably more often than they do the other way. So my three marriages this year, all three are cohabitating. I didn't think. I thought you had to be separated. Well, when I got married, you had to be separated six months before you could be married. Does church have a law or ruling on that? They really I don't, don't, I don't, think, I don't so. think so. A lot of individual pastors have rulings about that. But, uh, yeah. They'll say, I won't marry you unless. And uh, I don't think the church officially has a, has a ruling on that. Now, I'll give you two on this. Is And believe it or not, because um, I was asked to come and talk to our Notre Dame seniors. This was a few years ago. And I brought out the prenup form that we fill out. And, and the one thing that I want is when couples sit in front of me and I'm filling out this paperwork is to be honest with me. So after in the first meeting, after I get to know them a little bit, you know, tell me about yourself. Where'd you meet? First date. How'd you propose? You know, of the seven billion people in the world, why him? Why her? You know, type thing. <laughs> um you know, I, I ask them the three, what I think are the three toughest questions in the first one. And that is, number one, um, what faith tradition are you? You know, I one's usually Catholic, of course. You know, Catholic, Catholic, whatever. Second, have you been married before? No. Okay. Number three, are you living together? And I had one couple say, no, we're not living together. Okay. So then you start to fill out a little bit of the biographical information. You know, name, you know, Marty Getz, address, 700 division, da 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 
bride to be Jennifer Aniston. Um, <laughs> Cut that. Okay. Address um, seven hundred to fit, and you just kind of look up, and I was like, "Let's start again." Are you living together, Father? If we said yes, we didn't think you'd marry us. Yeah. And then I'm a little bit of a smart aleck, and I say, "Well, I can't marry you anyway. I'm already spoken for. I'll witness your marriage." <laughs> and second, <laughs> and then second is, you know, I just want them to start thinking, what's the difference? Let's say the wedding is August fifteenth. What's the difference when you wake up the morning of August fifteenth and August sixteenth? Mm-hmm. Okay. Then here's the second thing. Um, do you know that more couples that cohabitate, the percentages are against them staying together in marriage. Right. They have a higher divorce rate than those who don't. I've heard it said that cohabitation is the leading indicator of future divorce. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the other thing. And, and these seniors are smart because when I when I was doing this with them, they said, Father, you're assuming something. And I said, I know where you're going with this, but I want to hear the question. <laughs> and she, they go, Father, you're assuming that we're sleeping together. How do you know that we're not living in the same apartment, but in different rooms? And I said, you got a great point there. But I'm guessing 99% <laughs> of the time. <laughs> you're human beings. <laughs> yeah. You also look at it like. The church assumes that a marriage is consummated on the wedding night. It's not like the church is there is like, well, I'm the official witness. I got to make sure that this actually happens. Mm-hmm. You know, the church assumes that those you know, consummation is going to occur. And, and one of the things that I do is that I do encourage them for at least a week. But I try to do it two weeks, maybe three weeks, a month out. You know, if at all possible, if you're cohabitating, Lack of a better, this is going to sound bad, split up for that. You know, I don't, you know, I know that's a bad term there, but, you know, live separately for that last week, two weeks, month, you know, before you come to church to get married. Yeah, I want also to, to, to add some ideas on this point of cooptation. When we look at what is happening in our culture now, in this modern world, well, we can say cooptation at a later age, but you find like the youth, the young people, they begin this life when they are still young. And that brings even the consequences of divorce. So, because it's no longer, there is nothing new in that life. So most of the time they end up into even divorce because we have lost that sense of uh, sacredness of this act mm-hmm. and uh, even in our families it is something maybe which is beyond what they can control you find someone maybe a boy or a girl they are dating they are staying together with their families or family members in the same house and i think it is something very challenging to the church also we needed to pray for it so to kind of wrap it up we're we're coming up on uh about 50 minutes here. What happens if you are one of the 2% whose request is denied? Uh, do you have options? Are there avenues? I mean, do you, if, if your annulment is denied, you're still sacramentally married. Uh, even the Pope can't dissolve the marriage. What do you do? 
what happened? There is an appeal process. There's what's called a court of second instance. And uh, for the Diocese of Davenport, that court of second instance is a tribunal up in Davenport, up in Dubuque, I'm sorry, the Archdiocese. And you can appeal to their tribunal. They will review your case and see if it's, uh, see if there are grounds for a reversal. And if they hold true, you can go all the way as far as the Vatican. I'm not sure even what that, there's a name for the procedure, but uh, if the Vatican upholds the original tribunal's decision, well, then that's, that's fine. It's kind of like the Supreme Court, you know, working, <laughs> working from your local court to your state Supreme Court and then to your federal Supreme Court. So I would say, like, definitely to work with your, your advocates, that priest that's going to be working with you through the process. You know, because they're going to be able to reach out to the tribunal and kind of understand more of potentially why they, why they annulment was denied. Maybe, maybe for them, they might see maybe you had a better shot if you, you know, potentially went with the different grounds. Um, they're going to be able to help get a little bit more information potentially from the tribunal and understand why your case, you know, was denied. I think this is one of the reasons, and I don't, I don't wish to pour cold water over all of this because. The annulment procedure is valid and it's useful and it's helpful and it represents the charity of the church and the charity of Christ. But I think this is one of the reasons why we as pastors should stress the importance of marriage at the very beginning. The covetous nature of marriage, the commitment that marriage involves, the seriousness of marriage. In the old days, you know, the guy used to be really scared about getting married because, you know, it, it lasts until death do you part and all that kind of thing. I don't know if we should inspire fear, but we should inspire a deeper respect for the institution of marriage. And I think our culture has lost that mm -hmm. pretty much. And, you know, in the last show, too, you know, you asked the question, you know, about divorce and, and why. And, and I think a lot of it is, you know, if, if everyone around this table looked at their parents, they didn't have everything at the very beginning. Mm -hmm. And, and what I mean by that is that they, you know, they, they didn't live in, you know, in a, you know, five bedroom, three bathroom, $2.5 million home. You know, they had the nice parents. <laughs> wow. You know, I'm just saying, you know, it, it's that, you know, you, you have to learn how to sacrifice. And, 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 you know, I, I met with, or I had, I was friends with a couple. They were married for like 40 years or so. And, um, I'm at, I have two stories. And the first one is like, you know, we had to sacrifice, you know, we had not to buy things that we really wanted, you know, that we had to, to, you know, not go out and eat as much as we wanted to. Now, the one thing he put his foot down on was real milk. He was not going to buy powdered milk to save money. <laughs> <laughs> we did. Yep. And, and the other one too is, is that, you know, one of the questions that I ask in the, in the marriage prep is, do you see your marriage as 50, 50? And it's a trick question. Because I'll go, yeah, we don't know, it's 50-50. And I said, divorce is 50-50. Marriage is 100-100. Hmm. Yeah, I think you have to be all in. Now, let me finish. All right. Okay. Some, sometimes 110. <laughs> yeah. But because I asked a couple that was married in you know, over 40 years, and I said, how'd you do it? And he looked at me and he says, 95% of the time, I'm thinking of Linda and her needs. And 95% of the time, she's thinking of me and my needs. 
And I said, what happens in that other 10%? And he goes, we do a lot of forgiving. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. Does that answer that for that a little better for that 50-50 or? I'm a math guy. I like, there's 100% of marriage. There's not 200% of marriage. No, there's 200%. (laughs) There's going to be those times though where, guess what, your spouse is going to be kind of down and out where guess what? You're going to be carrying pretty much all the way to that marriage. You're 99 1. 99 to 1. But then there's going to be other times where she might be carrying all the weight, you know, carrying you up. Maybe, you know, in those days where you get home from work and guess what? It's a really bad day at work and they're going to be there. Or that day oh, when oh. you're coming home from the hospital having your kidney out. <laughs> and there's three kids waiting for you. And, <laughs> and little Fido. The yes. dog. Yep. <laughs> all right. Very well. Did we get annulment covered, do you think? Well, we at least scratched the surface, didn't we? Yeah, we scratched. Okay. The biggest part is, like, don't hesitate to reach out to a priest. We're here to walk on the journey with you. Don't look at it as a scary process, but an opportunity for healing and you want to be able to move on. And I've had several where they were so afraid about their spouse being involved that they didn't want anything to do with their former spouse, and that kept them away from the annulment sure. process. And we can explain to you, you know, how much that spouse needs to or does not need to be involved, but don't be afraid. Talk to your priest and let them tell you. And the priest is not going to be the one to, to push you of, come on, we need this paperwork in. We're going to go at the pace that you want to go at. Right. And of all the emotions you can feel and all the reasons and obstacles for not having one, just think of the joy of being able to receive the Eucharist. Absolutely. And, uh, and, or to be able to receive the Eucharist uh, free of sin. That's right. You know, that makes it all worth yeah. it. And the priest is not going to judge you. He's not nope. going, He's going to be your ally. He's going to be your adversary. And... Uh, and he'll, he'll help you. So that's a good attitude to know about. He's going to be your advocate. Your advocate. Not your adversary. Not your adversary. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Heresy, heretic. looking at Father James here, and I thought of adversary. <laughs> wow. And the other one went over them. I don't know who's who on which side. The only thing I know is that Father Dennis is neutral. That's all I know. <laughs> I, I try. I try. I try. Sounds like we're going to wrap this episode about. Yep. Yep. It is time to wrap it up. Uh, Father Dan, you uh, you have a closing prayer for us tonight? Oh, yeah. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Gracious Father, I thank you for uh, this radio station, and I thank you for the chance to bring the good news out through the airwaves. I ask you, Lord, that as we have this conversation, that uh, in a special way you bless those engaged couples, those preparing for marriage, that they may open their hearts, their eyes, their ears, their minds to what marriage truly is, and and that they are free, faithful, fruitful, and know it's forever. Also, Lord, I would like you to extend your help to those troubled marriages, those people that are maybe considering divorce, uh, those people that uh, they just have conflict within their marriage, and I, I pray that you help them through resolution, uh, help them to always stay faithful to their to their church and to seek help from their church. Lord, you are so good and gracious, so wonderful. We thank you for the sacrament of marriage. 
we thank you for uh, the opportunity to uh, to talk about it on the airwaves. And Lord, I just ask you to bless everyone here at this table and everyone listening to this broadcast. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Father Dan. Well, that puts the wraps on another edition of Pastor's Perspective. Our show next week will be somewhat of a milestone. Show number 25. Woo! And wow. they said it couldn't be done. Oh, wow. Can I come back sometime? Sure. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. All right. We'd love to have you. I haven't figured out how we're going to celebrate that 25th show yet, but I'll come ice up cream. with I'll come up with ice something. Cream. <laughs> no. Ice cream. No ice cream. No ice cream. Cake and ice cream. That's yeah. the <laughs> well, there used to be two priests in a car, and they'd always stop for ice cream at the end. Can we oh, fit one, I had two, three, four, five priests in an MC in a, in a van? We had to. Maybe. Or in the back of a pickup. <laughs> I, I could, I could oh. bring the van. Can we take this on the road? Yeah. <laughs> sure, why not? I was thinking dilly bars myself, but that's um, just me. Anyway, I'd like to thank the posse tonight. Father Dan, thanks for making the trip. You're welcome. Uh, Father Dennis. Thank, Thank you. you. Father welcome. Marty. I was glad to make the trip of 25 feet. <laughs> <laughs> Father Mike. I came across town. Thank good, you. Good to see you again. And Father James. Well, thanks for having us. You, you came all the way downstairs, right? I came all the way from Colfax. <laughs> <laughs> you, you made a special trip just for this? Without a doubt. Just for oh, Tony. Very good. We appreciate it. Pastor's perspective for next week, the 21st Sunday in Ordinary Time, will continue in Luke's Gospel, and we will be turning our focus to hyper-local issues about where Divine Mercy Parish is in the post-COVID world, and what the future looks like from a pastor's perspective. See what I did there? <laughs> Until next week, remember, God loves you and has a plan for your life. <laughs> Happy night, everyone. <laughs> uh, until next week, remember God loves you and has a plan for your life. We invite you to come back to Mass and get reacquainted with Jesus in the Eucharist. Consider this an official invite to come home to the Catholic Church. If you are attending Mass, invite someone to join you. I'd also like to thank our listeners for spending this hour with us. Please tune in again next week. Until then, Mary is seated at the right hand of her son. Pray for her intercession when things get tough. She knows what it is like to suffer. Good night and God bless. Night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night. KCDM would like to let everyone know that if you haven't had a chance to listen to Pastor's Perspective, the shows are posted on our website, kcdmradio.org. And you can hear Pastor's Perspective anytime you have time to listen to them. Drop into the website and give us a listen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. 